I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Brandon Lede. And we love to watch. We love to watch innovative cat disposal techniques. How's it going? Really well. Having my uh, second glass of wine for the evening, so I'm ready to go. Good for you. And then how many did you have in the afternoon and morning? <laughs> well, <laughs> at work, I have to sneak uh, hard liquor. It's a lot easier to hide on the teeth and the breath, you know? Gotcha. Oh, yeah. good move. Good move. Yeah. yeah vo- straight vodka. <laughs> um yeah i uh i'm on my uh third light beer of the evening right now which is uh really boring it gets really boring about halfway through the can and then um there's just more cans in your fridge and then they just keep going you have a fridge full of empties is that what i'm hearing <laughs> yeah <laughs> i just live in an apocalyptic department uh, apartment just i just don't have time to take the trash out and just shove everything back in the fridge this is a fun tip for everyone listening if you leave them in the fridge, uh, you don't need to buy ice packs because you'll just have these nice, cold, little uh, aluminum empty bottles of beer. And you can just put them on any wounds that you may have. Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming if you have a bunch of empty bottles or empty cans of beer in your fridge that you uh, have a lot of wounds. <laughs> <laughs> very wound prone. You very fall down prone. a lot. Yeah. Or you trip over the empty <laughs> beers that don't quite make it back in the fridge. Yeah, thank you. yeah, thank you for that uh, that uh, little life hack, uh, Doctor Armstrong. <laughs> yeah, little little life hack, guys. Uh, you know, we we try to be as informative as possible. Let's announce, as long as we're we're doing a very good transition. Brandon is that he is the host of the excellent uh, Swamp Flicks podcast, which we mentioned a few times on this show. Uh, Brandon. Why don't you uh, kick it, kick off? This is not kicking it off. Why don't you? Can I show kick up? it? Yeah. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> why don't you show up somewhere in the middle and tell us three things about yourself? Uh, well, like you said, I uh, have a podcast. Um, it's a basically an audio version of a website I run called Swamp Flicks. Um, on the website, we're a collective, but I probably write about eighty or ninety percent of what's published. The podcast is done in mic um in my living room kind of been doing a dummy version of your podcast lately it seems like uh i've had richard i've had uh, rick kelly and dustin koski on over skype over the past two episodes uh we've covered what have we done in the past um southland tales we both covered I, yeah, That's I just right. listened to your I just listened to your episode with uh, Trash Humpers, and you covered all the Richard Keller Kelly movies. I had to stop listening because I haven't watched the box yet. Uh, yeah, listen, say I loved that the discussion with you and Rick and uh, Bill is the co-host, the other co-host name. Yeah, uh, Bill Arsenault is a local um, New Orleans film critic. He filled in on the couple episodes when we're um, we were in like Skype exile until I found a new co-host. Um, <laughs> oh, we also did Possession, <laughs> yep. and uh, when oh, Dust- yes. when Dustin was on, we did all three, all five of the movies of the Fly series from the. Oh, that's right. No, um, I knew that. I was avoiding listening to it because I had never seen uh, the movie that we're going to cover on uh, part two of Take Two Month. Uh, the Fly 1958. Uh, you notice, Brandon, the way the show works is that eventually we'll remember to, like, be hosts and let the listener know <laughs> what we're doing. And we work those in seamlessly as part of a natural transition. Oh, yeah. 
this is flowing very nicely. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just people like desperately going, oh yeah, and we're doing the fly so that what he said <laughs> makes sense. Uh, the nickname of our podcast is Flailing. <laughs> Splashing and Flailing, uh, a uh, movie podcast. Uh, Brandon, I, I uh, was going to say, is your possession episode either came out like right before or right after ours. That might be the only one where I ever beat you to the punch, like by like a week <laughs> or something. Because uh, I remember being, I remember being really excited by it because not only do I love your writing at the site, but I remember being really excited by it because at the time, like I was still obsessed with Possession. Possession is the first movie I think since college that I've watched like I don't know a half dozen times in yeah. less than six months. I don't know, like, I, I just keep watching it. And so I was like, oh, more people want to talk about this movie. <laughs> um, so that was that was that was really fun. It felt like all of a sudden everybody was obsessed with possession. But it turns out it was just like eight people. <laughs> well, and Rick just watched it this week too. former guest. Uh, both of our yep. shows, Rick Kelly just watched it. And uh, he was nice enough to immediately shoot me a message and say, uh, he he did a fool. He did a goof where he's like, I didn't care for it. And then immediately said, I'm just kidding. It's my favorite movie ever, which great goof, Rick, if you're listening. Great goof. Yeah. Oh, man. A goof from the goof. He did get me, though. I'm yeah. like, why are you messaging me at 11 o'clock to be a dick? <laughs> are you trying to ruin my night? Yeah. Uh, Midnight but, uh, Pranks. Midnight Pranks. That is a movie, though, where if somebody was like, I hated that movie, I'd be like, okay. I'm not going to fight you on this one. <laughs> I know it's good. I'm confident about that. All right. So uh, did we did we get to three full things about you? <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to share? Uh, the site's from New Orleans. Uh, I've run a podcast. That's two things. Uh, and I guess the third would be that um, back in the old dissolved days uh, of Discus, I was uh, Gloomy Gus and Gloomy Gooby. I don't know if uh, anybody would remember that far back. But um, that's kind of how I met y'all was through that site. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, was going to say is I was wet butts drive me nuts. Uh, I still <laughs> am, and every two months I'll comment on AV Club now. But once the dissolve died, my uh, interactions with with disgust died as well. Once I discovered um, Next Picture Show, I was pretty okay. <laughs> that was yeah. like my security blanket. That's true. That was a nice. That was a nice little little comfort. Yeah, definitely check out that podcast. It's a lot of fun. It's way better than ours. <laughs> low bar yeah <laughs> yeah so we're gonna we're, before we get into talk about uh the fly uh, we're gonna try to do it a little quicker this week than we did last week but we are gonna just kind of touch base on where where we're at with spooktober brandon's also a big horror movie buff uh if you listen to his podcast which you definitely should uh you will you will learn that very quickly so he's gonna join us and talk about uh some of the movies that he's watched so far uh, during this wonderful month where we're not just randomly watching movies that we want to see, but have goals and dreams and hopes invested in hitting a certain target. One month a year, we have goals. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, Brandon, why don't you, why don't you uh, kick this off? Is there anything notable that you've seen that you either uh, highly re recommend or highly don't recommend this month from your, your watching? Well, I've been um, watching a lot of stuff for the podcast, obviously. So I got like the Halloween three episodes coming up and we're going to talk about the Slumber Party Massacre trilogy as well. Oh, um, I'm excited for that. Yeah. The second one, Slumber Party Massacre 2, uh, even rewatching them all in a row again is still like the crown jewel of that trilogy for me. It's this weird MTV uh, spoof, this like li live action cartoon with this crazed sex demon that comes out of wet dreams um 
That movie is phenomenal. I've been trying to consciously watch more Halloween movies outside that because I do uh, reviews every day as well. Um, and I've got about five or so that I think are like pretty great. There's one called The Earth Dies Screaming um, from the 60s. It's about awesome 70. <laughs> yeah, it's a great name. That one. And uh, I watched this other movie, um, Cat Women of the Moon. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> those rare uh, drive-in titles from back then that actually live up to like the insanity of what the advertising promises. The Earth Dies Screaming is actually pretty good for uh, this. Um, what's, what's the one y'all covered last week? The Thing from Another World? Uh, yeah. Before the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thing from Another World. So that one in The Fly, it's got that same kind of era energy but in this one the alien invasion doesn't really have any explanations it just kind of changes constantly like it starts with everyone in the world is gassed and then uh these robots come down to kill the survivors and the people who survive that have to deal with these zombies who are raised from the dead and this all happens over the course of 70 minutes so it's like this really quick uh fast uh punch that sounds amazing. Um, so, so listeners, listeners of this podcast, we should immediately know that holy shit, do I want to watch that movie? <laughs> um, because there's nothing I like more based on um, Goke and Hausu than uh, just a movie that does not give a shit and just wants to fly through different plots as quickly as possible. Yeah, I love that kind of efficiency in genre filmmaking. It's like I know why I'm here. I know what kind of thrills I want to see. And if you're going to sort of punish me with them, I'm fine with that. Yep. Don't limit yourself, guys. It's a movie. You can do anything and yeah. everything. <laughs> you should be doing everything. Yeah. Um, also, we're covering Tobe Hooper's uh, The Fun House right now, which is kind of grimy uh, carnival slasher. Uh, and to find something to compare to that, I watched this movie, Tourist Trap, uh, from around the same time. It's this uh, It's kind of this Texas Chainsaw Massacre sort of riff where these kids go to this small um, roadside attraction that's full of these mannequins. Um, and the guy who is obviously the killer from like frame one uh, has these telepathic abilities where he animates the mannequins and makes them act like his family. Uh, and he wears a doll face so that he can blend in with his mannequin family. And he makes <laughs> them uh, sing to the people he's killing. And it's one of those things that you would think that you would laugh at it because it is like a, um, you know, it's a 1970s doll horror film, but it's way too creepy to treat that way. Like, I love camp and I love, like, laughing at a, a movie that's having fun, but this goes for, for this sort of, like, nightmare vibe that, that really cuts through any of that humor. And um, I've seen a couple in the theater that I've never heard of before um, till like, the day I saw them. This movie, The Greasy Strangler, is kind of like um, a Tim and Eric horror movie. Um, <laughs> it's, like, deliberate anti-humor, very r repetitive, uh, very deliberately stupid, uh, but also so, so ugly. Just people naked and covered in grease with these hideous prosthetic genitals strangling people to death. <laughs> that one definitely plays into the comedic humor, but at the same time, you're uh, that one plays into the camp of the situation. But at the same time, you're just sort of horrified by by how disgusting the image is. And there's this other movie, Demon, that just made the rounds. That's this uh, Polish possession horror that's based on a Jewish myth, and it's set at a wedding. Um, and it's kind of like High Rise in that it's this party that just won't stop. Everyone's celebrating uh, until this point where it's mania. And it's like, why won't you just please go home and stop this <laughs> madness? Uh, but the horror just gets worse and worse and worse as they're like drinking themselves into oblivion. 
I'm realizing this segment's a terrible idea because I already have 40 movies on my list for this month. <laughs> and this is the second time we've done this segment. Uh, the last time, I think I added three movies from stuff Peter was talking about. And now every single thing that you said, I want to put on my list. <laughs> uh, Brandon, so I didn't want to interrupt. Um, but yeah, I have tourist, I happen to have tourist Trap and the fun house on my spooktober lineup i haven't watched either of them yet but i just bought tourist trap so i'm really really excited to hear um you guys talk about both of those that's fantastic that's kind of like the roundup of the ones i would recommend if i just want to say the only one i've watched um i've watched probably about 12 movies in the past two weeks that would fit in this category the only one i would say is just total garbage and avoid is shark exorcist that that is that is shocking shocking (laughs) well i I have a little bit of a higher tolerance for that like you know intentionally bad filmmaking like i'll i'll tolerate a sci-fi movie every now and then um as long as the premise is really over the top but this one was like a window into someone else's eyes like whenever someone watches one of those movies and they're like what total fucking irredeemable trash i like finally saw through that perspective for the first time watching shark exorcist so you know avoid that here's why the premise is garbage just because so there's a demon possessing a shark i would guess uh yep you take the demon out of a shark it's still a fucking shark <laughs> That's enough to be scared of in a horror movie. Yeah. The demon adds nothing. And getting rid of it with your exorcist doesn't solve any of your problems. Because nobody is... No, why would you want to save the shark? Just blow up the shark, too. I would have been fine with all of that. The problem is that there is not a single shark bite in the movie. What? They'll show the shark in one shot. They'll show the victim in another shot. And never the twain shall meet. It doesn't sound as disappointing as Open Water 2, which, uh, because it sounds like this terrible shark movie has sharks in it. Uh, Open Water 2, a sequel to a movie about sharks, has no sharks. What? That's that's so depressing. There's no I sharks. Mean, it's subverting what, uh, what you're saying. Nope. Expect, the, whole, the whole time I thought there was going to be sharks. Nope. They're just, they just can't get back on their boat. There's a lot of floating. <laughs> They got the floating part. Who fucking watches open water and is like, okay, so there's a lot of floating in the water and there's sharks circling. Let's make a sequel. Forget the shark part. People loved the floating. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's do an all floating version. What I really want is a low budget castaway. All right. uh, (laughs) Peter, did you want to run through yours quick? Uh, You have a shit ton. No one's allowed to talk until you're done. <laughs> I watched 14 uh, this week, so I'll I'll, I'll just do highlights. Um, what, what's your total up to, by the way? Uh, 23 total. I want to give you a kid right now just to stop you from <laughs> watching more movies. Like, you need just to go sl- rent a baby for the rest of October and see if you can still get the third <laughs> one. If my girlfriend falls asleep at 9 and I go to bed at midnight, that means I theoretically have time for like two 90-minute movies. It's great. Um, okay, so I watched Black Sabbath and Quidon for our anthology episode at the end of the month. Um, both are beautiful. Quidon is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. I'll talk about both of those more in the uh, episode at the end of the month. Uh, Equinox sounds very similar to that uh, zombie robot movie that you were talking about, Brandon. Uh, Equinox is 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 like a 75-minute a or 80-minute like 
there's a Yeti, a squid, there's invisible walls, there's Love, a Lovecraftian book. Like, it's just a smash smash up of all these genre stuff. Still haven't decided if I like that movie yet. <laughs> <laughs> like, days later, and I'm like, was that good or not? Uh, I watched the Halloween remake, which I, weirdly enough, I loved the prologue, and I didn't like anything else. It wasn't mean enough to be a good Rob Zombie movie for me. Um, <laughs> so, what else was notable this month? I watched uh, Ghost Watch, which is this, like, British found footage movie that's pretty amazing, but it needs to be, uh, I would, it needs to be restored because, like, it's really, really hard to watch in its current state. I watched Last Last Broadcast, which was also a found footage movie. I did not care for Last Broadcast at all. Uh, It breaks my cardinal rule about found footage movies in that it becomes a uh, standard, uh, or I don't know, not live action, what is it called? Free, Free camera movie at a certain point. It breaks the format. That really pisses me off. I watched uh, Trouble Every Day, which is, I was not expecting to be as vicious as it was. Uh, <laughs> um, I watched Invisible Man for the first time, which was really, really charming and helped break out some of the gruesomeness. Uh, and then last night, I had a really, really fun night to, to cap this off. I watched other stuff, but uh, I'll cap it off with last night I watched The Wailing and then I watched Darling. The Wailing is a like two hour, 40 minute Korean exorcism witch demon movie that like starts out as like a crime thriller and it slowly transitions into something else and it's a little bit of a morality tale and it's it's a it's really funny too and uh i i loved it it's it's really i was thinking about it all day today and then um darling i watched afterwards uh is a just a really fun like kind of spooky haunted house dash haunted woman movie uh it's very experimental i can see the editing technique really pissing people off but it really worked for me um yeah that's that's uh, as fast as i can go through the highlights (laughs) (laughs) do you mind if i slow you down for a second (laughs) yeah hit, hit me where hit me wherever you want so uh ghost watch that's the one that's like a uh blair witch um sort of like proto version where they're like trolling the audience and making it seem like they're making a documentary about yes. this real haunting. I've I, that's actually on my list of stuff to watch right now. I'm really curious if it's like worth the 90 minutes. It's really really fantastic. Uh I just wish I could watch a restored version of it. I watched a version on YouTube because it's not on a region 1 DVD. I don't like to watch stuff like that, but what are you going to do? I'm going to edit that out so it sounds more legally sound. It'll be like, I like to watch it on, and then I'll just insert, like, Betamax. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it, it's fantastic, and it, it I found it really, really chilling in a way that I was not expecting. Have you ever seen WNUF uh, Halloween special? No. What is that? It's, that's, that's, on, that's on my list for this year. That's all. That's very similar. That's finally on DVD. Last year, I, I had to watch a, a shitty version of it because it was uh, on Betamax. It was on, on Betamax. Um, <laughs> Good. I'll use that one for the previous one. <laughs> and uh, I watched a shitty version of that too last year because uh, that wasn't on DVD yet, but it is now. So you guys should watch it. It's a uh, very, very similar. It's a fake, uh, you know, mockumentary style newscast. Uh, I believe it's shot on video or it's made to look exactly like it's shot on video and it's checking out a... Uh, fucked up haunted house and uh yeah they're very 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 similar in style you can get wnuf on uh you can rent it on amazon now that's oh, okay. fantastic Perfect. last year you yep. couldn't find it anywhere except for buying yep. a vhs all right i'll i'll try to run through mine very quickly here thankfully i uh because i have a family i didn't get to as much <laughs> as peter yeah so i i'm up to 13th it's uh, 13 new ones for me including the fly 
Uh, it's the 11th, so I'm on I'm on good pace, but I'm not. I can't really have any breathing room if I'm going to get to 31. Uh, so yeah, so the last week I watched Sinister, which is the Ethan Hawke movie from 2012. That I I was actually just trying to find a movie that I thought my wife would be interested in. I didn't, and it was kind of. I remember seeing the preview and finding it sort of intriguing, and it turned out to be super awesome and great. And I was like, holy shit. No, no one's even paying attention to this movie. It's going to be something that I can tell people, watch Sinister. And then I go and look up like a few reviews and like Scott Tobias gave it of the AV Club at the time, gave it like a B plus, And I'm like, oh, I'm just <laughs> super late to the party. Uh, <laughs> uh, I did not find a hidden gem, uh, but the it's found, really good. The found footage sections of that movie are terrifying. The particularly yeah. the lawnmower scene is really, oh, yeah. really scary. Oh, yeah. The Jumped second one has seat. an alligator kill that I love to death. Oh, really? Is the second one yeah. worth watching? I mean, only for the 16 millimeter films, but uh, the <laughs> alligator kill of that. is like the best 20 seconds of like horror I saw last year because it's so over the top. Uh, well, yeah, the lawnmower scene was my favorite scene of that movie. So <laughs> trying to get in Toby Hooper movies instead of the Funhouse this year, I decided to go for Eaten Alive, which um, is the movie that he made after Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I liked it. Um, I wasn't head over heels with it or anything like that. I will say um, I mentioned this somewhere that it's very clear how quickly Tobey Hooper once he had the chance to do whatever he wanted went completely off the rails like the progression from Texas Chainsaw Massacre to Life Force feels like a very long stretch where he probably got weirder and weirder and then made this off the wall movie it is not because Eaten Alive <laughs> is like a is is has the same level of let's throw a bunch of different shit at once. Uh, I don't think it's effective as there's better movies that do that, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and uh, Life Force. But uh, it's definitely interesting and worth a watch. I also saw I Am Not a Serial Killer, which was I'd seen some recommendations in the group about that one. Not at all what I was expecting. I know it's based on a uh, book or a series of books that people like. Uh, I was definitely ex- expecting something more like teen lit uh, adapted into a movie. And instead, I got something weirder and more fun, I think. So I, I really liked I Am Not a Serial Killer. Uh, Southbound, which Peter talked about last week, which has, I think, the best opening segment in an anthology movie since uh, probably Twilight's end of the movie. Like the way that that opens and kind of gets you going uh, is fantastic. And it, it sustains itself pretty well. A uh, torso, which I thought was not great, more interesting as like a proto pre like Halloween serial killer movie, uh, giallo uh, Italian horror film, uh, but terrible sexual politics and kind of has to be expected. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, but it's not it's not one of my favorites. Um, Manborg, which is definitely like threading the line of whether it's horror. It, it is about a hell dimension that comes through, and there's a lot of gore, but it's probably more like action horror if that's a genre which is pretty good it's by the same guys uh astron six that made father's day and the editor two movies that i would recommend over Manborg. i think those those movies are fantastic movies uh there is a short included with Manborg at the end that i think is better than the movie uh it's called biocop and i would highly recommend you check it out on youtube uh and then my favorite movie new movie i've seen so far this year uh demons which is a 1985 movie produced by uh, Dario Argento. Dario Argento. Dario Argento. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, you, and you, you're there, man. You did it. I, I did you it. Pronounced an Italian. <laughs> you pronounced an Italian. Name. All right, let's end the podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I love demons. Yeah. yeah demons oh yeah. Rules. It's. Oh, you guys have both seen it. Yeah. Yes. Oh, demons yes. rules. It has. It has a motorcycle katana scene. Yep. 
it's oh hard to God. hard to forget. Yeah, it's so fun. The second cool. one ain't half bad either. The the first one's a lot smarter, but the second one's got some really gruesome, ridiculous kills that are that are interesting. Yeah, definitely. If if you have, uh, you can rent it on Amazon. Uh, if you have Shutter, it's also free on there. Of the thirteen new movies I've watched this year uh, for Halloween so far, by far my favorite. Like I've seen a lot of good stuff, but that one is just oh, this is everything I like about horror movies. This is going to be one of my new favorites. Demons is such a blast, man. That's it's it's a it's moves. I say this a lot, but it moves like lightning. Like I feel like the zombies happen within ten minutes. Uh, the, no, the it's it's scene? actually like twenty. It's twenty minutes. I I actually really like the slow build of you know everyone kind of assembling at the theater and watching the movies, and then like things kind of slowly seeming weirder and weirder. And then all of a sudden, like, the one woman goes to the bathroom because she has the same wound on her face as someone in the movie. And then everything goes, like, batshit crazy for the rest of the movie. And the last new one for me so far this month is 1958's The Fly. Do you guys want to talk about The Fly? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. second recap of the 1958 version of the fly directed by someone newman what's his first name alfred yep alfred newman kurt kurt <laughs> all right so the uh the five second recap of the 1958s the F- you don't need to restart there's no way that i'm not leaving in that you thought it was alfred newman who directed it <laughs> <laughs> like is <laughs> man gets turned into a half fly during an experiment uh woman helps his suicide yeah yeah that's pretty good which is also a pretty good recap of the remake but yep. they feel so different so we'll talk different about the remake more next week but we'll, yeah. we'll we'll get into a little bit too yeah so the 90 second recap is uh kind of starts out where um this great shot where there's just kind of this bloody legs hanging out of this press and the police show up and uh, this woman is like, I, I did this. I killed my husband. And uh, Vincent Price, who's the brother-in-law, gets gets kind of drafted by the police to, to talk to her and try to figure out why she would have done something like this. Uh, she eventually she is also in the meantime trying to not kill any of the flies that are that are buzzing around her bed, uh, probably because they, they leave their house a mess. Uh, there's just flies everywhere in this movie, guys. <laughs> um, and uh, so finally, Vincent Price uh, is like, hey, so what's going on with all this stuff? Just clue me in. And she's like, you're not going to believe me, but I'm going to tell you the story. And then that's like the first 25 minutes is kind of almost this flash forward or I guess the rest of the movie is a flashback where then she kind of tells the story of her husband who invented teleportation tubes and was experimenting with those and got a couple things wrong at first, like uh, letters flipped uh, and then accidentally vaporized a cat uh, and then eventually thought that he had had the, you know, thought he had the science down, put himself in there, a fly, accidentally got in the tubes with him, and then he was uh, a fly man. 
<laughs> a little different than the other one. <laughs> as will happen. Yep. Oh, he was a fly man then. He had an arm of a fly and, and a head as a fly, which you don't doesn't get revealed for a while. He has a sheet over his head and he can't talk and he speaks to his wife through uh, writing stuff on paper and keeps telling her, find this fly that has like a white head. They try in like the worst attempt to catch a fly I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, they are unsuccessful <laughs> in catching the fly. He eventually accidentally gets revealed as having a fly head. Uh, he freaks out and says, you just got to kill me. Uh, that happens. Uh, she So she, kill, she kills him in the press. And then the cop's like, great. What a crazy story. We're definitely locking you away. Uh, I don't care if it's true or not. Uh, what a story, Mark. Yeah. While, while they're about to lock, lock her away, they notice, hey, that fly they've been trying to catch is saying, help me, help me, and is stuck in a spider web. And then the police chief, in a pressure situation... Uh, keeps himself together and hurls a rock at the fly and kills it. Uh, and then the brother-in-law finally gets to be with his brother's wife. Happy ending. Um, <laughs> the, the, the the happy ending is very bizarre because you find out earlier in the movie that Vincent Price's character had always had a crush on his brother's wife. And the ending is he's just now the husband, kind of. And everyone's yeah. happy in the family. Well, yeah. Everyone is happy because um, she just needed a man to take care of her. And now she has Vincent Price, the ultimate man, to take yeah. care of her. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just being facetious, uh, but yeah, the ending is very, ending is very uh, goofy in terms of tone, uh, because it, it all of a sudden the movie's like, yeah, I mean, I didn't just witness two of the most horrific things that have ever happened to anybody in in my entire life. No, th- those those things never happened. Let's uh, go on a picnic. Yeah, and they have a kid, too, and it's like, well, here's your new dad. <laughs> um, don't tell anyone about the fly situation. Yeah. <laughs> you may have been a little sarcastic there, but that's definitely part of the story is that she's hysterical and can't handle this, like, situation that, like, there's a lot of, like, Freudian talk about, like, a woman's psyche and, like, the little kid said something like, oh, you know how women are. Like, uh, Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the first scene of the movie is them, like, debating whether she could have, even though she admits to killing uh, her husband, they're like, but there's no way she could have operated this press because she's a woman. <laughs> That's like the first thing is that she's admitting to murder uh, what they think is murder anyways. And they're like, nah, girls can't operate machinery. So that can't be it. Yeah. The the little kids. What does the little kid say about about his own mom? Like, you know how women are. Like, no, yeah. I, I don't. <laughs> you little misogynistic creep. Um <laughs> The little kid is I full it has all these these lines that I think are supposed to be comedy lines in uh, 2000 and in the woke years of 2016. It's it, they're just kind of goofy. You're like, what the fuck is wrong with this kid? Also, the way he looks at his mom at when um, especially during the you need to let the fly go. Okay, now we need to catch that fly. The way he looks at his mom is just like. This crazy motherfucker won't let me have a fucking fly. Like, he, he looks like he's going to murder his mom any scene now. I have one note, Peter. Uh, if you could, going forward, anything that makes you laugh, if you could call it a comedy line, like you're an alien from another planet, I would appreciate that. 
Um, <laughs> it was just a humor the, joke. <laughs> it was just a humor joke. Uh, and actually, before we get too far into the movie, though, uh, I want to talk about our experience with this movie, what we knew about, what were our expectations. And I actually want to start with Brandon, because when we were trying to schedule who was going to do what movie, uh, Brandon was – he was like, look, I, I'm happy to talk about the other fly. I'm happy to talk about the other things. But number one with a bullet is I want to talk about 1958's The Fly. So, Brandon, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience with this movie and why you really wanted to do this on our show? Well, definitely the attraction there, like, starts and ends with Vincent Price. Uh, I just love watching him on screen. This is a bad movie, then, for you to watch, I think. <laughs> it's true, but it is, it is like, the beginning of his horror career. Uh, he had done, like, a few, like, film noir things, but this is, like, before his, like, Corman Poe cycle and uh, sort of that run of, like, 70 schlock that he did after the fact. I can't remember what critic said this, but someone described his voice as molded velvet. I love luxuriating in that moldy velvet. Like, I, 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 I never watched the Cronenberg fly until about a month ago. I don't know why I avoided Holy it so shit. long. I knew it was a movie I was going to love instantly, and I did. But I, I was happy watching this one over and over again just because Vincent Price is such a joy. And I really like this era of, like, sort of, like, half-prestigious monster movies where it's like halfway between the Corman beat picture, but it's a major studio doing it. And they're trying to revive that like universal monsters, um, classiness. And it's got this like kind of compromised tone where it's trying to be like a highfalutin version of a, a drive-in monster movie. And I really like that push and pull between those two extremes. So yeah, that's, that's why I like this one the most. Yeah. I, uh, I, I kind of described this in my notes as a Doug- Douglas Cirque meets universal monster movie. Yeah, that's right. Okay, great. I'll mark that on the test. Correct. <laughs> Perfect. 100% A. <laughs> All right, I'm ready to turn this in. <laughs> but uh, an- another thing about this movie that makes it interesting to me is that it's like not at all what you expect out of it. You think of it as like a Vincent Price, mad scientist, horror film. And like y'all were just saying, he's not really in the movie that much. And he's not, he's not the mad scientist, which is m- my- maybe be what you assume if you never actually watched the film before. Um, and the film posits itself as a murder mystery at the beginning, but there's really no mystery. You know who the murderer is. She confesses in like pretty much the first scene. Uh, and pretty much you just need to find out why she killed her husband. If there's any like real mystery to that, you need to find out why she hits the button to operate the press two times instead of one. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of a weird mystery to build your film around. So I really like the way this movie like subverts expectations. And I do, I do watch it more often than I normally would with another movie around this era. Yeah. And I, so I'd never seen this before. You're hundred percent right, Brandon. I assumed Vincent Price was going to have a bigger role than uh, essentially the framing device in a lot of ways. He shows up in the middle of the movie having dinner and they, like, check in on him so that everyone remembers that Vincent Price is in the movie. I, w- I was a little disappointed that he didn't have a bigger role during uh, the whole Fly story, that he was only kind of present basically in the aftermath. Not that I'm saying he would have been a good mad scientist Fly. I don't know. Uh, he probably would have. It is Vincent Price. But everything I had heard about it was that, you know, the, the Cronenberg version was the better version. But unlike some of those remakes, like The Thing or Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that this this version of The Fly wasn't really worth anyone's time. That Cronenberg had made the good one, and the 1958 Fly was just kind of a piece of garbage. And it wasn't until the last couple years where I realized wh- why ever I thought that, or whoever I'd heard that from, 
that did not seem to be the general consensus anymore or in the group, the movie groups I was in. And people really started talking about how great and sad and weird this movie is. And I, I did really like it. I don't unabashedly like it like I do Cronenberg's uh, version. But I will say like the last half hour especially is just impeccably crafted uh, 50s horror. Peter? Yeah, um, I I thought I'd seen this movie. Uh, it turns out I hadn't. This was my first time watching it. I remembered it being in black and white, so clearly uh, I hadn't seen it. I must have seen something else involving like a bug man, some sort of uh, other 50s sci-fi movie. Well, there are two sequels in black and white. Maybe, maybe I saw one of those and I just got confused, but I was really, really happy when I turned this on and I saw that beautiful like technicolor poppy uh, colors uh, of it. Not that I don't love a lot of black and white movies, but uh, it was instantly like, oh, this is a new experience. This is something I can watch with fresh eyes. Uh, I love the the Cronenberg remake. It was I've always thought of it as um, one of those few rare situations where the remake is better than the the original, which apparently was unfair because I hadn't seen the original. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I, uh, I, I was really, really happy to finally get around to this and they're very different movies, but they're very similar movies in a lot of ways. What I loved about it primarily was that the movie takes about, I think it's an, the transformation doesn't happen until an hour through, which surprised the hell out of me. And I was pretty, uh, enticed the whole way through i i was thought for sure that the the leading up moments where he's like the scientist is like talking about all the the applications of this sci-fi technology i thought that that was going to bore the shit out of me but it has a sort of space age wonder to it an awe to it that really charmed the hell out of me the uh the, the couple has an amazing chemistry between them where they just feel like a nice wholesome family that's just optimistic about the future which makes the the framing device involving vincent price which for all we know like maybe they needed a way to get vincent price to be in the movie and then they invented the framing device later like the framing device might be a cynical choice uh, i don't know that's kind of what i assumed while watching it they were had basically shot the movie and then it was like, oh, we can get Vincent Price to be in this movie. Oh, well, let let's do all this stuff because he really feels inserted. Yeah. Well, the thing about the thing about his career is that he really wasn't the horror legend that you think of now. At the time, this sort of solidified his like iconic like horror status. Uh, and he was in the sequel. He was in the first sequel of this film as well. But this is like early in his like Vincent Price is horror career. This is like pretty much the jumpstart of that. Yeah, that that's surprising to hear. It's such a weird choice for them to 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 structure it like this. Now, I know it's I think it's based on a book. Uh it's a Playboy magazine um short story kind of like the box. Yeah, that's a book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a great research this week. Um so I don't know if that was part of the original structure of the story, but it feels a little unnatural and and my biggest complaint of the movie is that even though i think the first 25 minutes or half hour is interesting that's a long time for a framing device and it felt like they they stretched it out that long to give vincent price more to do but it didn't feel as slow and methodical as the good versions of those are it it felt kind of draggy and once we really got into the main story 
it picked up steam. And then, of course, you know, once the flies revealed and things really start happening is it, I think it gets amazing. But it's definitely it feels like a slow build from a quality aspect of this movie where it just it's just too long. It's too long of a framing device. I won't, I won't disagree that the uh, beginning is less interesting than the transformation, obviously, but I don't think it's an afterthought so much as like an intentional device to make this seem like it's a more high class, uh, sort of respectable picture. Um, they didn't want to be confused with, um, you know, like the Earth Dies Screaming, like I mentioned earlier, even though this is a little earlier film than that one. Um, they didn't want to be a schlocky film. Obviously, they, they threw that really expensive deluxe color into the um, yeah. into the uh, production. They framed everything like it was this sort of um, – like you would like a Tennessee Williams production or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Douglas it, it's this. I mean, that's what it looks like. It looks, it looks like imitation of life. Right. Yeah, that scene in the garden where he's sort of like uh, spacing off and she's talking to him uh, has some of the most like eye bleeding colors I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, and apparently it was just filmed right on the Fox lot. Like it was filmed outside, not even on a set. But there's something really artificial and uh, striking about some of the shots in this film. Uh, I, I think that that framing device, device with Fritz, Vincent Price was supposed to add an air of uh, respectability to this that you wouldn't really have if it was just uh, Dalombra in the, in the lab turning into this monster. That's fair. And I think that I think that's just tough to translate potentially. You know, if you were seeing this in the movie theaters for the first time in 1958, maybe it does a better job of that. But for me in 2016, it does it does feel a little bit like, okay, let's get I get it. She's seeing the fly zoom around and like you, you figure out what's going on and that slow realization of what's going on is great. It does. Yeah. It just feels like if it was cut in half, I think this would be close to like a, a perfect version of a 1950s monster movie. It's my one big complaint. So I'll actually say, and I, this is rare because I'm someone who never defends uh, framing devices. I almost always find them. Uh, I'm like someone who attacks the framing device in Titanic and saving Private <laughs> Ryan. Like I'm, I'm like that kind of cynical asshole. But in this specific case, I really love it because the the sort of chipper, like I said, the sort of chipper, optimistic space age um, sweetness of this this relationship of this like uh, daring, uh, daring, ambitious scientist who's too ambitious for his own good and his wife that supports him, you know, regardless of regardless of, of you know, how dangerous his ambitions might be. That that stuff being juxtaposed against the idea in the back of your head, which is built in by the framing device, that you know that this relationship is going to end in a horrible, horrible murder, is really potent for me. It, it, it helped it, it helped sell the horror aspect of it. This sort of um, awful inevitability that's that's behind the the sweetness. That's why I love the framing device in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I again, I I didn't have a problem with it in theory, conceptually. Um, and I think being able to open with that bright Technicolor blood, which I was very surprised to see in a 1958 movie, um, is a great yeah. way to kind of shock the um, shock the audience into what's going on and severity of everything. It my problem wasn't with the device itself; it was just it's too long. That I think I think the same thing runs in um, the thing from another world as well. It's it's a very slow build, uh, so they're trying to like sell you on the idea that the movie is worthwhile. 
an audience at the time definitely needed that kind of coaxing where they're like, oh, I'm not watching trash. I'm watching theater. <laughs> uh, but really, but really, they showed up and paid the ticket for that that transformation just like anybody else would. Well, I think the, the reason that the thing from Another World succeeds more than this movie, though, is because once that framing device is over, it starts over with a new slow build. Mm-hmm. Oh, I kind of. Yeah, that structure yeah. of. You have that long of a slow build in the beginning, and then you basically have another half hour of slow build to get to the uh, where everything goes wrong in his experimentation. It starts out with a bang and then just has two – one kind of small arc and then drops right back down and then does another small arc. I'd be fine with a movie that does an hour build. I think in some ways Thing from Another World does do that. But it's the weird kind of herky-jerky way of then starting over with a new slow build. All that put together doesn't flow as well. Do you think that ending uh, moment with the uh, spider in the garden, uh, does that help tie them together enough to make the the opening device worthwhile? Like, I know it should be shorter, uh, ideally, but... Uh, that sort of afterthought where they, they discover that everything she says was real and they have that one proto-Cronenberg body horror moment yeah. where they see the uh, the fly with the human head and the arm. Like, does that, does that make it feel like at least they did a good job of making that worthwhile? Like, it was actually, like, a structural part of the story? Yeah, I, again, I, I it's just – it really is just a link. The Vincent Price stuff is great. The opening – is great with the blood. I mean, there's so many there's so many moments in the first 25 minutes. A lot of great moments. It just it, it just has this kind of you can't have a slow build that stops and then restarts. I think the ending's fantastic either way. I think it just it pulls too many punches early on and just kind of creates this weird flow of a movie. That's that's really my only complaint. I can see that. Yeah. I agree that um but I'm I'm someone also that thinks that most uh most movies could lose 15 to 20 minutes so uh, <laughs> i'm not i might not be the best uh the best judge here but uh in this specific case i found the framing device um so compelling as is that it didn't really bother me when it returned to it though it did have kind of funky pacing and then when you sort of realize you're like he wasn't really the monster that long. Like he kind of, he's an emo monster. Like the moment he, he realizes what he is, he's like, I need to be dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> though, though I will say that the movie sells that sort of like instant, like uh, suicide path to you. He's like showing that not only is he losing control, motor control, but he's getting more dangerous to himself and others. And he's he's aware enough to know that, though. And that's where the horror comes in. And I, I, I loved that aspect of it. I think that's one of the stranger ambiguities of the movie is like how your body is connected to your soul. And that slow transference, obviously his atoms sort of got mixed up with the fly in his uh, de- disintegrator reintegrator machine, which really needs to be rebranded because it's a stumbling block of a, <laughs> of a name. So his atoms gets mixed up with the fly, but it's not like he's instantly transferred with it. It's not like he's got a full human mind in the, uh, with a fly head. It's this like sort of slow, ambiguous um, transference. And I think one of the things I like about the movie is, trying to figure out exactly when he becomes something else. Like, it feels like he's holding on for as long as possible. And you see that sort of Dr. Strangelove thing where, like, his hands are fighting each other. But it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly when he becomes a monster and when he's still, like, Delambre. 
there's a there's a wonderfulness that happens when you compare the the remake and the original. We get to see in this one it's 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 kind of like a uh, a shutter drops down, and we get to see dr- the gravity of his action suddenly upon him. Whereas in the remake, it sort of gradually becomes obvious that he's fucked himself in this it sort of comes down overnight so yeah you're yeah, right in the, in the remake sort of, he's powerful at first yes and he kind of yeah he can it. fuck he, better he's, yeah yeah he's, he's a good he's a good sex yeah. person he does it all the ways i highly <laughs> doubt this version of the fly fucks better i'm just no, gonna this, say guy does, this fly does um, not fuck no. um no. the idea that he's slowly losing his soul and that he's the grasp of it is is paint the losing the grasp of it is physically painful to him uh is really wonderful because we got to see how salt like how full of uh life he was before as long as long as we're kind of talking about the ending i do want to mention my um i know we'll probably swing back to it but as long as we're here that actually relates to my favorite absolute favorite moment of the entire film which is when he realizes that they're not going to catch the fly and he's not going to get put back together and he freaks out, he takes the axe and starts destroying all of his science stuff uh, while his wife just kind of watches in horror. And when he's done, because he's still a fly and can't talk, he still needs to explain that he wants to kill himself to his wife. So he slowly goes and he puts the sheet back on his head, has to walk back up to the chalkboard and has to write, please kill me. He's not even, like, able to have his freakout moment because he's he's so far fly at that point and able to tell the person that he cares about, you need to kill me. He has to stop his I'm a monster freakout and walk back to a chalkboard. And something about that moment is, like, amazing. Yeah, him trying to communicate to his wife has this, like, really painful, tragic air to it. And I think that the the series as a whole, uh, there, there's five of these things. Um, <laughs> and uh, they all, if they share one thing, it's that they use romance as, like, a tie-in to make it count for something. So it's not just the horrors of watching this guy suck what is it? Uh, rum spiked milk from under his shroud. <laughs> uh, they like try to make it um, grotesque for a reason, and to watch someone you love turn into this ugly thing is uh, is really painful. And yeah, that chalkboard scene where he's telling her to kill him, he tries to write "I love you" as well, and even that gets kind of messy and violent on the board. Uh, yeah, and because normally in that scene where someone's having the freak out, they would be able to yell "Kill me! I don't deserve to live." They'd be able to orally express. Like, that they don't want to live anymore, and the fact that he has to pause to give that sad, anguished, um, please kill me, because he's that far gone from being human, is, like, just devastatingly sad. Yeah, all he, all he can do is move those little tentacle-looking things around his mouth, which is not really uh, emotive, it's just freaky. Yeah, yeah, those little things were really strange, and the fact that they just, yeah, always were kind of moving was very uncomfortable to look at. Yeah, and holy shit, guys... How good is the design of the fly? Oh, it's so great. Uh, and the thing they do in the second movie, uh, I, I, it's kind of hard to talk about this without talking about other films in the series, but they take that same head and they pretty much double it in size uh, so <laughs> that it looks like this sort of Mardi Gras head. It's this giant, like, 
piece of work and it's hard not to look at that and just laugh because it's so cartoonishly big like a lollipop uh but this one is perfectly um proportioned so that it's still disturbing like it, it's really gross to look at and yeah that mouth is definitely a part of it so i think the i think the i think i've seen stills from the fly series so i was expecting the big head that's what i was yeah, expecting that's the second when, one. when they were yeah when they reveal it so when they revealed it instead it was something like much more disturbing. Like, I think I had a literal gas moment. This was not what I was expecting underneath this uh, sheet. And they do a good job of hiding it for a little bit. And it's just classic filmmaking where, you know, your brain fills in the gaps. And you're like, it must be horrible under there. And then, yeah, it still has t- it still has a way to surprise you. His claw hand actually bothered me more than the um, the face even did. Because for some reason, the, um, the little furry insect like features of it the 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 sort of coarse hairs the coarse black hair of of the claw that really creeped me out and i know the face also has that but something about it being on the arm and the arm being so dexterous made it uh very strange for me it looked it didn't look like a big head it looked like an actual appendage like he had suddenly grown that appendage I think that's part of the uh, slow reveal, like the uh, sort of virtue of it, is that if you had just seen the, the the head immediately after the transfer, it wouldn't have really meant anything to you. To have that sort of Phantom of the Opera, like slow, like what's going on under that shroud? Like what does he really look like? I think I think it really does add to that uh, dramatic reveal. Uh, whereas in the second one, they show his head uh, almost immediately, and it is cartoonishly big. So it's kind of an interesting it's kind of an interesting justification for how slow things do develop. Here. Yeah, and but he's he's the fly pretty suddenly. Like there is a moment where he's just all of a sudden the fly, and you you know he's the fly, and he answers the door with the sheet over his head. But that's the thing is that in a movie called The Fly, we know he's turning into the fly. We already got like Chekhov's fly escaping off into the garden, and it still all works. It's they then kind of again slow it down again, and they let them communicate. They let him try to find the fly. And he's trying to save himself, and it all works. And that's that's pretty impressive. I really like that cut from when his last scene as a human is till the scene you're talking about where he's uh, originally like in the basement not willing to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's when they go to the garden, he's sort of lounging on that hammock. And she's uh, she's asking him if he feels well, and he's obviously like kind of out of it. And the bright colors in that scene are the most vivid the film gets. Even though the color is always intense, there's something about that garden scene that like really sticks with you, where it looks like a photo shoot. Uh, and then they go to the drabness of the basement almost immediately, and you don't really come out of that very often for the rest of the movie. A lot of the movies, like her in the basement trying to coax him. Uh, there's some stuff in the upper house and them trying to catch the fly, but it really doesn't have that idyllic imagery anymore. Uh, and it's a pretty interesting choice to go from that uh, sort of Garden of Eden look to like, things are serious now. Yeah. There's no hope. <laughs> I'm this monster. Yeah, Montreal is pretty. <laughs> it was funny as I thought the movie took place in France, and then like for the, in the last five minutes, I was like, "Oh, it's Canada." Got it. Yeah, much worse. Got it. Um, much worse. <laughs> I used to spring break in Canada, as all the kids do. That is the most Midwest sentence I've ever yep, heard. Yep. <laughs> you, could, you could drink when you were eighteen. Just drove north. Uh, so actually, I want to back up because I think this relates. So the bad guy in this movie. Relates to the bad guy in um, The Thing from Another World and all other 1950s uh, horror sci-fi movies, which is just science itself. 
<laughs> I think he makes a pretty good argument for science, though. Like, he does. A good rational argument. He's like, he says, like, uh, our, you know, what the TV and, you know, all this, the space travel is something that's, you know, fantastical to us now. But for our son, it's just everyday fact. Like, people adjust. He makes a really good argument, but remember, the movie has decided that he is wrong because science has turns on him at the end. I, I don't think the movie. Uh, I don't think the movie takes that harsh of a stance either, because at the end, when they have that like familial moment uh, where Vincent Price is the new like paterfamilias, uh, he explains to the kid not that like oh you shouldn't do this. He says like oh your dad died pursuing the truth or something along those lines. He did science too hard. <laughs> he scienced too close to the sun. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's less saying that science is bad, like inherently. I think it's saying that it's dangerous. The rapid, <laughs> the rapid advancement is what's freaking out people here. Like the idea that all these new um, inventions, like supersonic flight, is something that they're really terrified of, or satellites, or like you said, television. The idea that this is all coming like way more rapidly than new advancements used to is where that paranoia is coming from. And it's true when you go and you look, because I went and looked at, like, just horror movies of the 50s, and I was struck by how many of the ones that you're aware of all have some sort of science fiction. Not all of them. That's a, that's a little bit of an overstatement. But most of them have some sort of science fiction element. There's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and it came from outer space. And, like, there's just a long list of all of these, like, 1950s horror. If 1930s was, like, gothic horror, all 1950s horror is, like, almost science-related. There's definitely some outliers, but it's amazing how much that kind of merged for a decade, like post-World War II. But yeah, if you consider films like them or something, yeah. usually at the end, you'll get that monologue where it's like, oh, we did this wrong. We should think better before we destroy the planet. And here, the stinger you get is uh, actually what he was doing was very noble. He just made a mistake and fucked everything up, which is a little bit of a different message. Yeah, this one is definitely more positive on science. I was I never really connected how much there just wasn't that kind of like standard horror movie. And standard horror genre was sort of missing from the 50s, it feels like, at least from a uh, successful like movie standpoint, the ones that you know of. I know they exist. Man, science fiction and horror was just like one thing for for like 10 years. It was kid stuff. Yeah. Because the, uh, the Universal Monsters had made so much money for the studios in the 30s, and then when that collapsed and stopped being profitable, uh, the only people who were going to the um, sort of goofier, trashier ones of the drive-ins were kids. So people didn't really take them that seriously, uh, and this is like one of those attempts to like sort of bring it back to like an adult uh, audience, um, which I think is part of the reason it has such staying power. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a it's got a sort of class to it, and it's uh, it doesn't have the sort of a rambunctious uh, carelessness that you would expect from a movie with a dude that turns into half fly. Uh, you would expect him to be you know rampaging in the fly suit and you know choking out uh, helpless women and you know running around. Uh, in the suit for much much longer than he is but no he's sort of a pitiful thing that he got turned into and he doesn't the movie kind of not quite but the movie kind of kills him before he can actually turn fully into a monster at his own request 
Yes, the, in The Wolfman and The Invisible Man and a lot of those classic uh, universal horror movies that you mentioned, it kind of begins with them at full-blown monster and they have to figure out what to do with them. Or they have to figure out, in Wolfman, he has to figure out what to do with himself. And it, it's, it's uh, in this, he's sort of like, okay, this is going to get a lot fucking worse, <laughs> which is a, a much more mature adult approach to the material. I, I mean, you know, or at least a more respectable, maybe not mature and adult, but maybe more respectable approach to the material. Yeah, the only body count from the fly is the fly. That's true. And it's a pretty gruesome kill for the time. That nasty uh, image of his body, like, smashed flat with that crimson red blood coming out. That's not something you typically saw in the theater at the time. So, yeah, it is one kill, but they make it count for something. And they they bookend the film with it, too, where you see, like, just his body hanging out. Yeah, it does make me question the police investigators a little bit, because I get that he was smashed flat, but it still feels like you'd be able to tell that his head wasn't a person head anymore i don't know <laughs> do you do you uh you guys want to talk about the police in this movie a little bit because they uh <laughs> when i was watching this i was just, my first thought was oh cops used to be so gentle <laughs> like up until they secret up until they secretly take you away to asylum without your knowledge to be fair she is rich and white yeah that's true she basically they were like they were like well you can stay in your beautiful home and have a maid that is gonna watch after you and we're gonna come in and we'll talk to you but like when you're ready to talk uh he's sort of working on the case with vincent price which i imagine most cops would be like uh, you keep family members far fucking away from your investigation unless you need info out of them. Especially one that does admit that he kind of wanted to have a thing with this person whose husband just died. Yeah, like, there's that's it's kind of weird that there's not suspicion on Vincent Price. Like, he's, this is one of the few Vincent Price movies I've seen, um, which might not be indicative of his career, but one of the few Vincent Price movies I've seen where he's kind of like on the up and up the whole time and everyone else is like, yes, of course Vincent Price is totally normal. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you think he's not normal? Is the fact that he sounds like a cackling demon sometimes? Is that why? (laughs) He definitely has the most to gain out of uh, his brother dying. Yeah, yeah. He he uh as I say is especially if he wants to get the wife and they you know, apparently he still has plenty of means of making money. He says they have more money than they know what to do with. Which is the thing you Yeah, and he said and he says that he's not interested in it though. Oh yeah, I was never interested yeah. in all that money. Just his wife, but I didn't kill him. <laughs> yeah. Well as long as you say it it's true. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Wait, why did they make why did they make this movie in Canada? <laughs> I'm just thinking of that scene where I'm trying to think of what opulence he has. And he like the only opulent thing I can think of is that he uh, pours the kid wine, but he like waters it down. It, but that's just like a French Canadian thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess their name sounds vaguely wealthy, too, because it's French or something. At least sounds like sophisticated. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds that sounds real, real, uh, real fancy um, <laughs> like. Yeah, I, I will say that if we're going to talk about the cops. The very ending scene, like, that is terrible police work. I, I kind of expected they were going to try to save him, and maybe the spider was going to eat the the fly part of him uh, too quickly because they were so much in shock. But just to fucking throw a rock at the fly and the spider, like, maybe do some more investigation, get some evidence. I, I don't know. That's a really empathetic moment, I think. Like, it's pragmatic, at least. If, if Delambra had... A- 
had um, come across somebody in that state, I feel like as a scientist, he probably would have preserved the body. But as this like harbroiled cop who's like seen it all, he's like, oh, there's something in pain that's going to die anyway. I'm going to put it out of its misery. I think that's like the ethical choice in that situation. I think you're supposed to side with the cop there. Uh, well, I guess I guess I don't. Um, <laughs> um, but- or use a stick and kill the spider. Yeah, exactly. It didn't seem to be out of mercy. It seemed to be out of disgust. Like, oh my gosh, gross. Let me just hurl this boulder at these at these people. And then, like, he doesn't go to, like, lift up the boulder and see what happened. He just sits down and is like, well, that was pretty fucking crazy. I guess I won't throw her in the insane asylum. <laughs> He's like, uh, well, I caught the crazy now, so I guess I'm get- letting her off the hook. Um... <laughs> I feel like his reaction to that is like he reacted too slow and that the um the little the little white is already being consumed and so he's like let's I have to end this right now let's end both of their their pain also side note uh depending on where you stand on this movie's stance on science or I guess <laughs> however you interpret this movie's stance on science he could be saying let's kill this abortion of <laughs> of creation right now he needs a little more showman in him, like Carl Denham. Just be like, we're going to make a million, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I got, we got ourselves a little person. Like, yeah. I seen one of them. You're like, a really little person. <laughs> Watch, he'll scream. <laughs> That's all he does is scream. <laughs> he screams, help me. How do y'all feel about that help me scream? Like, uh, this image is definitely like the most like Cronenbergian part of the film where it's like, not quite human, not quite inhuman. It's this kind of gross middle ground. Uh, but that little help me, help me scream uh, is is definitely a, little, a lot goofier than that image is. I, I don't know if y'all felt the same way. It's. I think it starts out really creepy and then they repeat it too often and it gets goofy. That sounds about right. Is it something that I've seen the parodies of so much that it's kind of funny by default? Like, isn't there a Simpsons parody that like involves? Yep. Yes. Bart becomes I was going to talk about that. Yep, I was going to talk about that because that sort of ruined the twist of this movie for me. Because <laughs> it would have been a twist that there was like this little fly and it was going to have a head because there is a treehouse of horror where uh, that happens. It happens just like this movie, except the fly Bart uh, with the fly head on the human body is always kind of powered by a fly. And that's where the that's where the humor comes in, because it's like it's obviously not. Bart and it's disgusting and they're just letting it run around like their kid. Yeah. But then there's a there's there's the yeah, there's 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 the Bart with the human head on the fly's body and he's like, I'm the real one, save me. So it's been a long time that I've been able to say this, but yeah, Simpsons parody kinda of ruined didn't ruin the movie, but ruined some twists that I wasn't probably would not have anticipated otherwise, because I know the help me help me scene is very famous. But outside of The Simpsons, I was completely in the dark on that. And the movie was probably 40 years old at that point, too. So, <laughs> Yeah. I'm not, I'm not angry at The Simpsons, but... A more honest version of the intro might have been uh, us all saying that we saw The Simpsons episode first. Because uh, <laughs> I definitely true. grew up watching that, like, almost annually. Um, yeah, the... the, the, the uh, so, jumping back to what your question was, because I kind of skirted it... The the help me cry. I, I agree with with Aaron that it's it starts off creepy and then as it goes on it gets kind of funny. But it's it's um the little but the yeah the, there's sort of a, a clash of what's going on there because the little voice is inherently funny because high pitched voices are funny uh, for for a few seconds. Uh, I've never finished a Fred movie, but uh, 
the uh, <laughs> but the I've got some terrible news for you, Peter. You know they're running out of helium, right? <gasps> no, no, <laughs> yeah, no. They're gonna have That's to start true. making so castrados. <laughs> Castrati. Sure, I'll look that up on Wikipedia. <laughs> I'll look that up on Wikipedia and insert a laugh. I guess once I get it. <laughs> they're, they're, so what happens when uh, to, to make choir boys, they remove their testicles to keep their voices at a falsetto. Uh, gotcha. So once again, you're using Italian terms. <laughs> I, I'm Irish German. How often, how much do I have to say? I don't understand this. I am also Irish German. So you've lost your excuse immediately. But the, He's more cultured. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. Um, but the, uh, but yeah, the, the little voice is, is, uh, it becomes funny uh, as as the scene kind of goes on. Well, it's also it's also because when you first hear it, you realize, oh shit, yes. But then the fact that he's just sitting there forever and doesn't notice it when the it help me, help me, help me. It, if he would have just sat down and then got back up and it was one or two help me's, I think that scene works better yeah i don't like playing this game with actual content in the movie i i guess like actual you know uh, execution of scenes I, i'm fine playing with the editing because editing is kind of like a fun abstract way to view movies um but if i were redoing that if you were redoing that scene what would you do like would you have him say help me less or would you change the voice because just pitching up the voice appears to be the problem if it w- would it help if the voice sounded more gurgly and awful like an abomination would like no, I just think one or two help me's and then he gets right up off. Like, he doesn't have a chance to he, – he's he's just sitting there too long. Yeah, I like, think, they're, yeah. they're trying to hammer it home to the audience too much. Yeah, I think cutting the scene a little bit would help too because the, 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 the cop hesitates way too much before he acts, um, which I think, you know, is supposed to let the horror kind of drag out. But it ha- drags a little bit too much and, uh, yeah, a few too many help me's. Yeah, the voice is trying to match, like, the high-pitched buzz of a fly buzzing around your ear. So, I don't think there's much they can do about the pitch. Uh, definitely less of whatever was going on. <laughs> yeah, you guys are kind of used to the situation. <laughs> can we talk about the fl- the whole strategy in this movie for how they're going to put him back together? Because try not to let these things bother me. But the my only other complaint in the movie is their fucking plan for how they're going to find this fly is the dumbest goddamn plan I think I've ever seen in a movie. Like, first of all, you you have to be totally unfamiliar with flies as a concept to think if you don't find the one you're looking for during the day, that it's acceptable to go back to sleep and hope you find it in the morning. (laughs) Flies do not have, like, a territory that they hang out in. This is not a mouse. Their whole, like, okay, we got to find this fly made sense in the moment. But much like like when to find a missing person, the first 24 hours is the most important. The first 24 minutes is the most important in finding a fucking missing fly. That thing is not just going to be hanging around for you to find later. You're not even taking into account the lifespan. Like things eat it. It doesn't live yeah. for that many days. Like there's not a lot yeah. of time. It's a terrible strategy. Again, if, and if you're committed to look for it, either look for it or, or give up. You don't get to sleep on it and try to find it again in the morning. Um, They're not on the same sleep schedules as you. Second, when they finally do get a chance to catch it, it is like the fucking Keystone cops trying to catch a fly. Just terrible strategies. They, They eventually, like, let it out after a long period of time. But they have it trapped in the net. They put out sugar. Then they try other stupid stuff. I mean, at that point, it was like, just you got to let your husband die because you guys are incompetent at catching this fucking fly. 
I, I will say that as goofy as it is here, uh, them them trying to catch it and the plan that sort of like harebrained scheme to like mix their atoms back together in the proper <laughs> order, uh, it's been done worse because in, in the second film, uh, The Return of the Fly, uh, the um, plan goes off without a hitch. They catch the fly, they put the two people back in the uh, disintegrator reintegrator, and he comes out perfectly fine on the other end. And there's like a happy ending at the end of the movie. That's weird. So, as bizarre and as goofy <laughs> as that might play here, uh, I, they at least try to make the situation seem hopeless. Like it couldn't possibly work at the end. Where in the other one, there's this sort of like uh, cinema magic thing where like everything kind of puts itself back in order at the end and there's there's really no problem yeah am i a cynical asshole for thinking that the plan was that like the reintegrator thing didn't bother me because i never thought it would work and it's just like the desperate throes of a dying mad scientist yeah i never thought it was gonna work yeah i mean they weren't able to like re-reverse the letters yeah and the made it made in japan wait why did why didn't you just run through it again and it would be reversed (laughs) yeah I th- I thought that was it's kind of goofy, but I also thought that was a super interesting way to say stuff was wrong in the transporter from the beginning. Uh, it's dumb when you think about it, but I I still thought it was kind of a clever touch of in his first moment of triumph when he's celebrating to his wife, and then flips it over and it's like, wait, this isn't right. Also, pat yourself on the back, buddy. You just did something yeah. amazing. <laughs> Who cares if it's flipped backwards? You're still gonna get a fucking Nobel Prize. Yeah, it takes a turn, though, with, with the cat. Yeah, he immediately throws a cat in there. <laughs> and the cat just sort of lives in this void, sort of meowing and, and yeah, nothing. I That's know. the scariest thing That's... in the movie. Is the cat just in another dimension, or is it just in a non-dimension? Like, what yeah. What the fuck? He accidentally transported to, like, the Event Horizon Hell dimension. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Uh, although I think the cat deserved it, because... I'm a, well, that didn't deserve it, but I bet the cat wanted to be put out of his mi- misery because his name is Dandelo, uh, <laughs> which is the dumbest name. Those those damn French Canadians. That's I animal that name all day, all day long. Dandelo, uh, <laughs> it's it's terrible. Kill and me. also, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I also like that. Then later he buys a guinea pig and is like. I should have done this from the beginning. Honey, the reason I have this guinea pig is because, remember that cat everyone loves so much? Yeah, it's gone. He is not it's, comforting just, at all about that. He's like, no. probably cat atoms flying up towards space. And she's like, uh, excuse me? Yeah, don't worry. I got this guinea pig. Uh, I was going to use it on our kid, but they, they were having a sale. I want to go ahead and ruin some more details from the sequel because it's definitely not worth watching. Please do. But uh, part of the experiments, they they get like the guinea pig to transfer pretty easily. But what they start doing is pushing it so that they'll um, disintegrate the guinea pig like five o'clock one afternoon. They're like, okay, at 8 a.m. when we come back, let's try to bring the guinea pig back and reintegrate it. Do they find Dandelo? <laughs> yeah, they, they intentionally dandelo these guinea pigs and leave them in the void overnight. And the weirdest thing that happens in the second film is uh, these cops are after somebody, not really worth explaining, but a, a cop and a guinea pig are forced into the machine at the same time. And they come out on the other end and the cop and the guinea pig's hands have switched. And that's the horror of the scene is that the guinea pig has these human hands and the cop has little guinea pig hands. Let me tell you, if you are trying to tell us to not watch this movie, you are doing a terrible job. (laughs) It's really bad. (laughs) It it feels like you're selling it really hard and I'm into it. 
What what if I told you the third one doesn't even have a fly human hybrid in it at all? Well, based on what I told you about open water too, I would not be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I I I never assume that the creatures I'm expecting in my creature features are actually going to be there after open water too adrift. <laughs> <laughs> the I, it's funny because like of all the horrific combinations that could come out of this thing, like it would be. The movie would be more depressing and horrific if if somehow they got the fly and, you know, both flies back in the chamber together and they just came out in two even more horrific combinations. <laughs> like, imagine how, how awful it would be. And then, they, oh my God, what if that was it? Like, the guy is completely, the guy completely has his humanity and then they finally get that fly, they put it back in the chamber and then what comes out are two vicious, murderous beasts. <laughs> God, that'd be, be such a rude, like a mean movie for the for fifty eight. Like, or everything comes back together except his penis is still a fly penis. <laughs> Wait, the size? Oh, sorry, a penis the size of a fly, or a fly's penis? Both. <laughs> he gets two. What does the fly get? The fly really got gypped here. He has two buttholes. Oh, got it. <laughs> I'm going to edit all this out. <laughs> I just like the idea that the fly is just flying around with a huge, a huge dick. <laughs> you want to you you see the, the version where that's the thing that's different on the on the insect one? <laughs> it's just, it's just somehow, a flying dick? It's kind of flying in lazy circles. Cause it's somehow Those suspending. are the most powerful wings to be able to power <laughs> yeah. that dick. <laughs> it's probably more just like a dick that lays on the ground and makes a buzzing noise because the fly yeah. can't lift off. <laughs> yeah, it just looks like a severed penis with a fly buzzing on it 24 hours a day. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. Uh, <laughs> I saw that movie. <laughs> um, so, yeah, do you do you guys have any other – I know we've talked a lot about this movie. Um, what are some other little moments that we didn't get a chance to discuss that you think is worth mentioning? Um, I really like uh, a lot of the eerie uh, scenes in the lab, especially with the oh, yeah. uh, the actual machine operating. There's these really beautiful like neon lights, uh, and they wear these sort of futuristic visors when because uh, the machine's so bright, uh, and it kind of looks like something that should be slowed down with like a craftwork song playing in the background or something. Like it's it's kind of the height of uh, this like atomic age fear of of technology. Yeah. Uh, I think those are kind of beautiful. I love the lab scene. I love the lab scene. The sound of the the transformation sounds like a bunch of machine guns layered on top of one another. It's like this sort of ripping noise uh, that I really, really like. And it does the um, – I mean, there's a joke. I don't know if you guys have seen Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie – but uh, there's there's a there's a joke in that movie in this island Earth where they say you know increase the Flash Gordon noise and put more science stuff around, <laughs> and, that, and that's that's how a lot of like there's just there's just machines that do science. I always call those uh I always call those bleep loop machines. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this has a lot of that, but the way they structure it, where it's not just it it feels like even if you don't necessarily need to know how it all operates the the lights and the science goes from here and to here and it creates a tension in each scene that i think works really well even though it is very like the more tubes the better it's science <laughs> yeah I, they they make the actual uh, like adjusting the machine and getting it ready sequences uh gracefully short because it would be so boring watching a dude just like 
fucking with panels that clearly do nothing for like five minutes before a scene to like build up tension. Instead, he just walks up to a thing. He just like turns a couple knobs and then the thing goes off. It's pretty, it's pretty fantastic. I think it helps that his wife is the uh, point of view of the movie. Uh, yeah. That we don't have to spend that much time uh, watching all this stuff, like the the dynamics of it. Like we understand just about as much as she does. Yeah, yeah. It cuts it cuts away some from some of his worst experiments. And also, she does a great job of at the very beginning, kind of seeming completely in shock. At, at the very beginning of the movie, she's completely in shock by what's happened. But the police and Vincent Price initially mistake it for being. Uh, super cold and distant, like someone that would just kill their husband in cold blood. And I thought that that was really well played by her. I really like her performance. If we're talking about scenes yeah. in, in moments, I like. I really like her performance in her character, especially in an era where women are often relegated to roles of non-action. Um, she, it kind of becomes her role to try to save her husband. She fails at that, and then it becomes her role to help save his soul. And, and it really does cut back on uh, a lot of that stuff we were talking about at the beginning about how they sort of undercut her, like, respectability. Our alliance is with her. Like, I don't know if, how seriously you're supposed to take that stuff. If it's just indicative of the era, that's sort of like Freudian psychology about her, about her, like, hysteria or whatever. But we totally get what she's going through the whole time. So we're, n- we're never questioning her the same way that the, the police are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she, she, she kills it. Uh, the... The kind of weird trying to keep it together, too, while still attempting to make sure that all the flies in the house are safe. Like, she puts a really good calm face on, oh, no, I just want to make sure that fly's fine. While still tilting uh, her hand to the audience that something is desperately wrong in her desire to to save all the flies. Besides just saying that out loud and how ridiculous that seems on the surface. Uh, The only scene that I kind of want to return to... Uh, that we didn't get a chance to talk about much except at the opening was I do think the happy ending is just super fucking weird. It is It is just, yes, I lost a husband, but now I got a new one and you have a new dad and let's go on picnics. It's just very old Hollywood. It's very it studio film. Yeah, I think that the, the grimness of uh, watching a uh, man, man fly get crushed by a rock and everyone breaking down was too much. But uh, the way to fix that is not to uh, have a chipper uh, picnic scene. <laughs> this movie's pretty well regarded. but And again, I don't want to play the game of like, well, backseat director. But I think it's a little more acceptable of films of this era where you know that the director or whatever they want to make is not necessarily not compromised by censor boards and stuff like that. But how much more dark of a movie would this be and possibly more well-regarded if the movie ends with the cops like, yeah, well, I did see that, but no one's going to buy that story. And they still haul her away. The whole last half hour of the movie is like about unrelenting sadness of realizing the choices that you made are not reversible in the way that you think they are following that thread through to uh his wife getting you know basically tearing apart the family at the end i think would have been more uh thematically resonant than but everything's fine now i'm interested to read the uh playboy story to see how that ends because it seems i I bet you are brandon (laughs) yeah i just want to look at the pictures oh wait no i want to read the stories the articles that's right yeah i don't know where else uh, i would find pornography in 2016 it's tough to look- man 
You gotta dig, man. But yeah, I, ima- I imagine the Playboy story has uh, an ending, sort of what you're describing. Like, I imagine it's a little more bleak than than what we get in this movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, great. Um, <laughs> Fine. <laughs> sure. This is the uh, sort of stuff we cut, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. This is this is why you never hear this on the podcast. It just sounds. Like, it sounds like we're just experts at moving from one topic to the next. Um, but I get uh, sleepy and weird. <laughs> uh, Brandon, uh, do you have any final thoughts on the 1958 version of The Fly? Uh, I think if we failed to mention anything, it's that uh, in that performance we were talking about from the main actress, uh, she does have one of the most iconic screams in the history of horror, which is that uh, fly POV shot where it's a kind of a kaleidoscope of like a bunch of her little heads screaming for the camera. Oh, that's um, amazing. Yeah, that, that's probably the one shot we may have yeah, overlooked when we were talking. But other than that, no, I think we pretty much covered everything. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts on the fly? Yeah, um, the reputation that I had heard that kept me away from so long, which it's not worth your time, is bullshit. It's very, very good. It's just not gonna. It's it's not gonna be as good as what I would call. Like I think I think Cronenberg's, and we'll talk about this more next week. Uh, I think I think that's basically a perfect movie. I think it's just amazing. Probably my second favorite Cronenberg movie overall. But like like we talked about with the thing, like you don't need to put these movies head to head. This has a lot of great moments. It's interested in different things. The last half hour both on shock value and the palpable sense of sadness that kind of permeates the whole thing, followed by, like, this weird body horror special effect that you just never saw in the 50s. Uh, I I would say the last half hour is perfect, and the rest of the movie is pretty good. Is your favorite Cronenberg video drone? Yeah. All right, just checking. Just making sure. Mine is... (laughs) Is that your your favorite, too? Yes, definitely, by far. Mine is uh, Dead Ringers. Get um, out. <laughs> uh, I'm excited, though I am excited to talk about the Cronenberg fly, because I, I agree with Aaron. It's a perfect movie. Retur- uh, seeing this for the first time was a real treat, because uh, for one, uh, getting to see Vincent Price in his prime uh, and playing a character that I usually doesn't play uh, in my experience and uh, getting these sort of wonderfully sort of dignified horror is a really wonderful way to break up your horror diet because I think a lot of your spooktober diet might be full of a lot of, you know, gross out movies or a lot of more modern movies, which might be, you know, more sexy or more... Um, graphic it's kind of fun to throw in something that's like this that's it has a, an air of respectability to it and is but still is a lot of fun and doesn't fuck around uh and streaming on netflix so you have no fucking excuse it's been streaming on netflix for forever <laughs> like i i only put it off because i knew we were doing it in october like definitely watch it it's like 90 minutes too yeah, and I didn't know it was streaming on Netflix because their interface is garbage with letting you know about stuff that's on there. There's also this really um, nice uh, DVD from Fox. It's like four films. Uh, it's this one, Alligator People, the 60s uh, Caligari, and uh, a haunted house movie that I can't remember the, off the top of my head. But um, they have a pretty nice DVD package with it if you want to own a physical copy. It's really cheap, yeah. and it comes with three other really great movies. And you can probably pick that up at your nearest Kmart. <laughs> I think I bought it from Target. 
Uh, so thank you so much for being on the show, Brandon. This was a ton of fun. We're definitely going to have to have you uh, back. What do you have to to plug that we you, – you can replug stuff in case people weren't paying attention at the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I write reviews every day at SwampFlex.com. Uh, I try to uh, promote that stuff on Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr, so we're pretty easy to Google. Um, like we said earlier, I have a podcast uh, that covers a lot of the same ter- territory as this one, so if you like the stuff going on here, we do a lot of the same stuff. Um, sometimes literally the same movies. <laughs> Coming up soon, I think around the time this episode releases and uh, on Halloween Day, I'm sort of moving the podcast into a new direction, uh, and my wife is going to be my co-host, uh, which is very interesting uh, switch from uh, sort of like dudes talking all the time. <laughs> that feels like direct shade at us. <laughs> no, it is definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're starting that with uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, uh, awesome. and Summer That's Party awesome. Massacre. And on Halloween Day, we're doing a bunch of like kids witch movies so like Kiki's Delivery Service and Teen Witch and Worst Witch and a bunch of stuff like that so that's all coming up very soon I'm pretty excited about uh, sort of getting re-energized and putting it in a new direction so if if you're going to check out Swamp Flicks podcast you can just go ahead and start with episode 15 uh, because that's the one that's coming up in a week yeah that's awesome that's that's awesome uh, I'll put links in the show notes and uh, Swamp Flicks is one word and it has an X at the end, just in case anybody is Googling it and doesn't feel like going to the show notes. But uh, yeah, I'll put a link. <laughs> Thanks. So for the rest of the month, the rest of Spooktober, we're going to cover the David Cronenberg version of The Fly next to uh, round out the uh, remake versus the original uh, month. And then uh, we have a special surprise for Halloween Day. We're going to be releasing a... A special episode on anthology horror movies and it sounds like the format is going to be uh aaron and i are going to pick uh, a handful of our favorites uh of all time and sort of make our own uh horror anthology best ofs uh and sort of talk about anthologies in general and you know notable collections and uh push people to check out some some entries from movies that they might have uh, ignored or the entries that are really great that got hidden in the uh, amongst some trash, like uh, my favorite, the raft. <laughs> yeah, the raft is going to be the big, <laughs> the big, uh, the big uh, show. That's there. the hidden amongst trash. Yeah, because yeah. Aaron and I love uh, the raft, and we don't like any of Creepshow Two apart from that. I don't think. No, um, nope. <laughs> piece of garbage. And Sam Scott will be joining us for next week's uh, episode on Cronenberg's uh, Fly as well. I'm uh, sorry for forgetting. Salute. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, so uh, November, really quick, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but November we are doing uh, 90s nostalgia. We are, we've recognized that we've done a lot of sci-fi, we've done a lot of horror, so we're going to we're gonna take a really big change in direction for a month before we <laughs> go right back to our normal milieu in December, <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, so we're doing uh, 90s, 90s nostalgia, which is... Uh, movies that I think I think all of them Peter and I have seen, but have not seen for at least like 15 years or something like that. And all movies that we like quite a bit. We are doing the following movies. Uh, Rescuers Down Under, Fools Rush In, uh, Super Mario Brothers, and yes. Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. <laughs> uh, and our guest for these episodes uh, for Super Mario Brothers will be talking to Elizabeth Lund. For uh, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, we'll be talking to Rick Kelly again who joined us for Predator 2, 
And for Rescuers Down Under, we'll be talking to Tom Peeler, and we'll tell more about their uh, their background and what they do uh, as we get as we get closer to the episode. So uh, we're really excited. Again, we we are basically booked out through the end of the year, guys, and uh, we have a lot of fun stuff coming up. I think we already started to book up uh, January and February next year. So if you like this show, I've got great news. Uh, we paid for the website for two years, so we're going to be around <laughs> for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, you're forced to uh, to listen uh, until we say you've been released. Oh. Yeah, that's that's kind of your... Uh, Peter, was that your ending uh, end? Shit. <laughs> that's it. That's the end of the show. <laughs> Fuck you. Say something else so I can add that. No. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. folks thanks for listening to we love to watch if you want to get in touch with us please reach out to us at either our website wltwpodcast.com or our facebook group facebook.com backslash we love to watch and uh yeah reach out to us give us some feedback give us some support uh, suggest movies for the show all that we are also available on soundcloud TuneIn, stitcher and itunes thanks for listening